because we don't know each other, because we are afraid of each other, because we'd rather be intellectually lazy and reduce one another to stereotypes, because, 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 therefore we take up these actions and we continue to injure one another. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, and Bishop Wright and I are having a conversation based on Four Faith, a weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. Good morning, Bishop. Good morning, Melissa. There's a lot going on in the world today. A lot, a lot. This week's devotion is an excerpt from one of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 1962 address at King's Chapel in Mount Vernon, Iowa. You named it Because, and it's Dr. King's explanation for why men hate each other. So I'm wondering if you can explain why this passage and why now? Yeah, well, I mean, we're recording this uh, just days after, uh, you know, an 18-year-old boy uh, walked into a grocery store and, and shot to death, uh, uh, largely senior citizens who were unarmed. He was armed to the teeth, dressed in tactical gear. And, you know, we, as far as we can tell right now, is dr- drove 200 miles uh, to, to accomplish this terrible act. And uh, also had, you know, put a lot of planning in it and also streamed it live as he was, as he was doing it. And, and there was a white man in the grocery store who was cowering and thought that he would die. Uh, but the, the, the gunman apologized to him once he recognized that he was white and continued to shoot black people. And so, um, you know, as a bishop and as a public figure, so often people are looking for statements from, from people like me. And they're right to look for some statements um, to help people make some sense out of things. And... Um, on the matter of hate, because they're labeling it a hate crime, uh, on the matter of white supremacy and uh, and all of that, you know, I wanted to to invite Dr. King into dialogue with us, and uh, he's been talking. I mean, you know, this this um, little known uh, lecture that he offered in 1962 in Iowa. I wanted to bring that uh, forward to people so that they could have uh, a real resource as they think about it about how this is no new thing, about how this is an old and insidious thing, about how it's enjoying, uh, sadly, sort of new attention and new support, this idea of race hatred. Um, And so, yeah, I just want to always try to give people the best I can. And so Dr. King, I think, is one of the best in trying trying to help us see, uh, you know, how we are not the beloved community. And what the work is that is necessary to do so that we can become the beloved community, which, of course, is God's dream for us. Right. And tribalism is certainly not a thing that's going to help us lead, you know, to becoming beloved community. No, And that's what we've got a lot of right now. Well, tribalism, tribalism is a response to fear. And I, I think that that's one of the things we have to talk about. Um, it, it appears all this is preliminary. But it appears this youngster was was fed, you know, a, a diet of fear 
that uh, that he was uh, somehow smitten with this this notion of replacement theory, where black and brown people were were sort of replacing white people in America, taking their country, and so that mobilized him to wage uh, a war uh, against uh, against you know black elderly people in a grocery store. Let me just say something also here it, it's 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 interesting to me at least um the cowardly nature of this um you know you're you're armed with war grade weapons and you're armed in in a war grade outfit and you're waging war against 80 year olds octogenarians in a grocery store who are unarmed and unaware non-combatants having been an ex you know having been you know being ex-military this is a violation of honor. And so and, and so it, it further proves, at least to me, how hatred, you know, grotesquely uh, maldevelops us to where we think that grandmas and great grandmas uh, are the same thing as combatants. Uh, so there, there's no honor here. There's cowardice here. There's a there's there's a grotesque sort of. Uh, maladjustment here. Uh, and so this youngster, while he is responsible, um, who else is responsible? Uh, the rhetoric, uh, you know, the doubling down on fearfulness. Um, uh, so, you know, it, it is individual actors, yes, but, but there's a community component to this as well. That's right. I, I don't know if we've talked about the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson, uh, but that book, and when I say cast, I C A S T E. Yes. And, um, it's sad to me because I read that book and it was, oh, so disturbing, but I'm sure Ms. Wilkerson has predicted much of what's happening right now because of that replacement theory. Dr. Wilkerson is, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, Howard, my, my, uh, my, we share, we share our, our uh, uh, undergraduate college. Uh, and so I'm awfully proud of her work, but she, she and others are, are working on this idea, you know, looking back and also looking forward at what is our American future? Um, are we going to become seething, you know, sort of armed tribal camps, uh, or are we going to be the Republic uh, it, that is interdependent on one another, celebrating one another's gifts. Are we going to continue to be, uh, you know, an imperfect American experiment, but nevertheless an American de- democratic experiment? Uh, or are we going to descend uh, into, into something which is going to be beneath our framers, the best of our framers' hopes, and beneath God's call to us? And so uh, what is scary to think about when we, when we think forward is, is that as America browns, uh, as the color of America browns, we become increasingly black and brown, and we become uh, more uh, a, a nation of minorities, um, you know, how will we be America? Um, you know, fiction writers and, and, and people who make fiction movies have imagined one way forward that, that is always... Uh, apocalyptic. It is. It is always gray and dark, and there's lack, uh, and there is a suspicion, uh, and we're all armed to the teeth. And it's an interesting thing that God imagines something altogether different uh, for us. 
that we find a way to be siblings, that we find a way to share, that we find a way to better care for creation. And so, and so what we have uh, every time we have one of these tragic events, not only in Buffalo, but in California, a man walks into a church uh, because he hates Taiwanese people. He himself is Asian, but he hates Taiwanese people. So he kills one doctor who bravely rushes to try to sort of save everyone else. And the congregation sort of acts heroically together and they they, they subdue him and, until law enforcement come. But then in, in instance after instance after instance, uh, uh, people are being seduced by this idea that we've got to wage war against each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, this is all in response to the America they think that is coming, where, where uh, white folks are, some white folks are feeling like uh, the, the nation that they have built uh, is being taken away now uh, by some inferior species of people, uh, black and brown. And this is the narrative that it is uh, sadly mobilizing some young people. I think about uh, Dylan Roof who walks into a church, again, a cowardly act, grandmothers praying on their knees. And this is the, this is the, the, the war theater that he thinks is going to save uh, uh, America, et cetera. And so we've, we've got to acknowledge that people are sick, that there's a sickness. And, and at the core of the sickness is a, is a pervasive uh, fear. It's all fear. It's fearfulness. This is why, um, you know, I chose this uh, lecture from Dr. King where he gives the reasoning for this because we don't know each other because we are afraid of each other, because we'd rather be intellectually lazy and reduce one another to stereotypes, because, 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 therefore we take up these actions uh, and, and we continue to injure one another. So his, uh, you know, he t- talks all about those because, but then he ties all of that to leadership. And you study leadership, and I'm wondering what resonates most with you regarding that theme. Well, you know, you know that's uh, for the people who know me. They 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 know how happy I I am that you ask you're asking this question because, as far as I can tell, it's all about leadership. I think that leadership is a spiritual discipline, and leadership is driven by hope, and hope is energy, and energy comes from inspiration, right? And we are inspired because of Jesus's uh, example and teaching to do hard things. Leadership is among the most difficult things that you and I can do because it means that we're going to mobilize people to address tough problems, particularly and especially the problems they'd rather avoid. And so one of the things we would rather avoid as Americans is the fact that we have this uh, pervasive, uh, systemic, multi, multi-tentacled a monster living uh, in our midst called uh, white supremacy and race hatred. And, and it's been with us since 1619. The pilgrims come in 1620, but the first Africans come uh, as chattel slavery, uh, as, as chattel slaves and slave people uh, in 1619. So it's been part and parcel of who we are. And so we need men and women of every color of every ethnic background, of every class, of every learning discipline, to take up leadership. That is, to say to the status quo, uh, this is wrong. 
And, and what we know is, is that when things are the status quo, right, they're, they're the air we breathe and the water we drink. It's, it's all in us. But we in America are, as James Baldwin has said, are addicted to this notion of innocence. And so to, to say that white supremacy lives next door to us and perhaps lives in our, in our upstairs apartments and, and, you know, is very close to us is not to condemn the nation but it's to have the courage to critique the nation on the way to transformation and renewal. And so when we see people stopping conversations about our complicated American history, they're not doing the nation any favor. What they're demonstrating is their own fragility about facing the truth. And this is where the church can help. This is where the mosque can help. This is where the synagogue can help, right? You and I... uh, as we try to follow God and try to make God's values our own values, what we're increasing in ourselves is an ability to look at the truth, the world as it is, and to bring real sensitivity to those narratives, to acknowledge when we've missed the mark or our group has missed the mark, our people, our nation, our country, our county, our cities have missed the mark, and not to be sort of condemned in that moment, but to understand that all of us fall short And now the call is, what can we do about it? And so every time, uh, you know, uh, we have one of these heinous acts, and we ought to just say and and tell the truth and love, why so often are they young white males? What's going on uh, in our white families? What's going on with our white youngsters? What's going on there? What's, why are they mobilized in this way? Now, people will say, well, these are just a, a precious few. But, when, you know, if you just do a, a quick search on Google, you will see any number of these kinds of horrific acts. And you will see each and every time that they are white males. And so what, what's, what's going on? I want to know. I just want to be curious what's going on uh, with these folks that they are being seduced by these ideas to be soldiers, you know, in, in a war that's been concocted, right, in the heads and the hearts of people who have a prominent office, who have, uh, you know, positions in law enforcement, who have the microphone over various internet platforms, who think they are patriots, but they are, they are really just pulling the fabric of this nation apart. And so I, I want to know about that. And so for us to engage this in any way, to address this, you know, the scope of this and the scale of this and the depth of this, uh, people are going to have to exert leadership. We have to take a, right, uh, a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. This is your producer, Easton, thanking you for listening to Four People. Friends, this isn't a regular release of the podcast. We've got work to do and entering in tough conversations, holy conversations. We ask you to share this episode for people and the kingdom of God. And now back to four people. Welcome back to four people. Bishop, I heard a sermon not too long ago where the preacher unpacked the nuances between discipleship and apostleship. Yeah. And both of those are big fancy words, uh, but to crudely summarize, disciples are followers, whereas apostles move from student to teacher, and teachers are leaders. 
So I used to think we have a discipleship crisis in our church, yet I've come to wonder if it's really an apostleship crisis. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we've got lots of students, but few who step out and up to lead. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Jesus, you know, uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And so all of us fancy preachers with all of our sort of linguistic fancy footwork is is always interesting to watch. But Jesus said a long time ago that the laborers are few. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So if we want to subdivide the leadership into disciples and apostles, that's fine. I like the notion of apostle being someone who is a learner and and, and then because of accumulated experience and wisdom becomes teacher. I like that idea. Um, But I think what, what we're asking everybody to do is, you know, whatever you can do, you know, do all the good you can do whenever you can do, wherever you can do is what we're talking about. And leadership is not just a role. Just because I'm a bishop doesn't make me a leader. It's just a role. Uh, leadership is about action. And so, you know, my guess and my hope is that in East Buffalo, men and women will rise up and exert leadership. Uh, you know, all, all kinds of folks, black folks, white folks, rich folks, poor folks. Uh, I, I hope they will exert leadership. I hope they will make action. I hope they will close the gap between what we say about ourselves and how we actually live. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing is so deep and so wide. You know, why is that the only grocery store for 150,000 people in Buffalo? I mean, I, I live in a community in Marietta, Georgia, that I can, I can take a very short walk to two grocery stores and, and any number of, of other services. And so, so what's the his, historic piece here um, where this guy could, could drive 200 miles and hunt, hunt, for black people. Um, and so, you know, there, because there are no easy answers, that's why leadership is required. Leadership is reserved for the most difficult things we face. And, and to face them, you got to begin to talk about them. Uh, and, you know, I think that there is a real uh, reluctance to talk about things because I think that people are going to default to what I call the two, two cul-de-sacs. One, they're going to default to either just sort of blind rage, and I understand that, but nevertheless, you can get stuck there. Uh, or you're going to default to a con- uh, you're going to default to shame uh, and guilt, and and I understand that people can get stuck there, but neither one of them are going to move us forward. You know, just blind rage and just you know, sort of a, a sad shame is not going to move us forward. We're going to have to increase our capacity, all of us, if we're going to move uh, move forward. And so this has everything to do how about how we vote. This has everything to do about how we talk. This thing, this has everything about, you know, how to, how we um, sort of create climates and cultures in, the, in our businesses uh, and in our schools, et cetera. So, I mean, this is a multi sort of faceted way to go. Well, I, I really, I'm thinking about um, Martin Luther King's, the whole excerpt and, and he's like, why, why do we hate? Well, we hate because we fear. And my big question, Bishop, is why do we fear? I mean, is it because we don't have relationship and so it's other and, and we're just unsure? I, so where is that? What Where's the rubber meeting the road in things that we can actually do to conquer our fear, to reach out, to bridge the gap, to do all the things, to be in relationship with people who are different than us? That's right. You know, well, we, you know, in America, especially around race, we walk around on eggshells with one another, black to white, Hispanic. You know, we have lots of things we say about other. And, and I find that when you talk to most folks, they haven't actually spent a lot of time around the very person that they're othering. 
you know. And so I, I think there's a profound lack of, of knowledge of one another. Uh, I think in some cases um, there's a track record with other that needs to be uh, changed, it needs to be, you know, acknowledged and then therefore changed. Um, I, I think about, you know, what are, what are the people in East Buffalo now going to think about white males? You know, uh, you know, there, there's going to some, some 18 year old white male is going to walk into a store and that's going to cause somebody to think twice, you know? So I, I think, you know, all of that stuff has to be interrogated. We've all got to go the extra mile to reach across these divides. Um, you know, again, I think here's an opportunity for churches to, to, to find ways to have conversations one to the other, the black church and the white church. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that makes God sad, that very statement, the white church and the black church. But nevertheless, to find ways to build connections that are not just on February uh, and not just in January and Dr. King's birthday, but to figure out how we can continue to talk together. Uh, and, you know, it's bigger than black and white, we also have to say, too, because, you know, we think about the synagogue where people were murdered in Pittsburgh, uh, not too terribly long. You know, the, the, so there's anti-Semitism. There's all kinds of, you know, gay and lesbian folks have been targeted, Asian folks. I'm in New York City right now recording this. And so the Asian people in our community have, a, have been given reason to pause uh, because of this sort of monster, monstrous hatred that's sort of stalking our streets and our hearts. And so, you know, it's just, it's it's multi-tiered work, but it comes from, I believe, a deep and abiding commitment to wanting to make sure that we understand that we are siblings, that we are neighbors, that is God's dream for us. And everything else that have has us as warring, competing tribes is not of God. It's not of God. And so we're we're afraid, and we've got to we've got to deal with the fear. Well, I think it would be really appropriate, Bishop, if you closed us out with a prayer. Would that be all right? Yeah, of course. Let us pray, gracious God. You made us in your image, all of us, all of us, the young one and the old one, the black one and the white one, and the Asian one and the Jewish one, and the Muslim one, the gay one and the straight one. You made us all in your image, oh God. Uh, and oh, how we have, because of fear, injured one another. We are terribly afraid. We demonstrate our fragility and our insecurity every day as we interact one with the other. And only your saving power working through us and in us can help to save us. We pray for those who grieve right now, who have lost family members. We pray for families been destroyed by hatred. We ask you, O oh God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to raise up in us a strength and a courage, a fortitude that is for love, not the sentiment, but the soul force. Help us to face who we have been on the way to being who you want us to be, who you call us to be. Help us to find in Jesus an example of leadership, his teachings, and his availability to all kinds. Help us to deeply embrace that. Purge us of the sickness of hatred. Yes, Lord. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus who loves us all. Amen. Amen. Bishop, thank you. And listeners, thank you to listening to Four People. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. You can uh, subscribe, leave a review, and we look forward to be ba- being back with you next week.